Some interesting things happened during the, the prep time on this message. I knew where I wanted to go, but where I ended up was seeing some things I hadn't really seen before. And um, I think uh, if you pay attention, uh, it can help you. Where I wanted to go and where I started off was for like three, four, five weeks. I've been talking about living in the light. Three, four, five weeks I've been talking about the power to possess. But the functionality of it, it's like how do, how do I get this? Because I believe people listen and say, oh, yeah, praise God. God can do that. Oh, okay, I see that. That's in the Word. But at what point do we step in, over and we say, I can do that. I can live in this. I can make this happen. This, this is a part of my life. How do we internalize the Bible so that the Word becomes an internal reality? So that when I, I'm faced with things, that there's no decision-making, there's no, let me go pray about it. Let me go see what the Bible says. I know at that moment I have the power of the authority over it, that, that I live in a functionality. One of the things that I've noticed over the years that I try to relay, and I've said it in different ways, is that there is, in fact, I was, we were talking about today, I'll just use the same story with the people I was talking about today. Uh, I've used the example before that when we were in uh, Russia, and um, uh, Sergey and I was on a train from Yekaterinburg to or Orsk, and it was hot. I mean, it was during the summertime. So there, it was just, there's a, four bunks and uh, a window. And so I'm like, Sergey, can we open that window? And uh, so we had the window open. There's, there's air blowing around it because it's not like an air-conditioned, you know, cart. And so then this lady came in, and she starts speaking in Russian. And uh, uh, Sergey asked, well, can we close the window? And uh, I'm like, why? It's hot in here. I mean, it gets us some air. And uh, he said something to the effect of, well, kind of culturally here is if wind blows on you, you'll get sick. And I'm like, that's stupid. <laughs> it's hot in here. We close the window, it's going to get hotter. Hot makes me sick. And I don't really remember the conversation after that. But I, I was thinking, you know, in the terms that that's stupid, that, like if wind blows on you, you get sick. Yeah, right, okay. So then I was down in the country of Chile. It was wintertime. Their winter is our summer. So I had my big heavy wool jacket on. It was 110 getting on the plane. But by golly, when we got off in Santiago, it was cold. Culturally, they don't want the temperature inside your house to be different from the outside of your house. So they don't turn heaters on. So it's freezing inside, it's freezing outside. And it's like because they believe that if it's cold outside and you walk into a warm house, you'll get sick. Or if it's hot outside and you walk into a cold house, you'll get sick. Well, how stupid is that? Okay. Uh, we, we all know that that's dumb. But we have the same things here. You know, you, you go outside with wet hair, you'll get sick. No, you won't. You know, if you eat, uh, if you eat and go jump in a pool, you're going to get cramps. No, you won't. But we believe that. Now, we all have proof, whether you're in Russia, whether you're in Chile, whether you're in the United States, we all have proof that those, those cultural things uh, exist because our faith creates them. Oh, I can't go outside. My hair is wet. I'll get sick. And all of a sudden you get sick. See, I knew I shouldn't have gone outside with my hair wet. But wait a minute. Why don't you look at your faith? Your faith receives what you believe. Now, there's nothing medically or nothing scientifically. I've never seen a study that, that validates the point that if your hair is wet and you go outside, you'll get sick. And I've actually read reports that there's no medical science to support that if you eat before you swim, you'll get cramps. But we've all, how many's done it before? You, you ate, you, went, you swim, and you got cramps. See, we, our faith enacts. So now, 
your perception of how things work is also a faith of how things work. So if I can't believe I, I can do it, I'll never do it. Uh, was it Henry Ford that said, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right? Somebody in history said that. Because faith operates. So, so I've been trying to, to think about how do, we, how do I get this from just teaching things in the Bible? That, and, and, and let me just tell you, I'm not a preacher that just looks for a message. I preach what I've lived out. I mean, I, I don't just preach something because I found something online. I know there's preachers here in town that they just preach things that other people preach. You know, you can buy. Uh, there's a, a website, if I can remember what the name of it. It's like messages.com or something like that. But you can just go in there and download messages. Somebody's already done the outline. All you got to do is fill in the blanks and, and talk to them. I, I don't do that. Uh, but there's a lot of preachers that do do that. I, the things that I preach... I've put in practice and I see that they work. And so I know, I, I know I'm coming from a, a, a dynamic that I know this works, but how do I get that into other people? Now, what I want to do here, I'm going to give you some time to think about so nobody's put on the spot. But I want you, if you, now I don't want just a testimony. I'm going beyond a testimony. And I'm going beyond something that you just did. I, what I want you to do is think about it. If I've preached something, you've heard me preach it, and you thought, you know what, I can do this. And you've done it, and you put in the principles, and it's worked. I want you to share a testimony of how you've taken the word and done it. I want to see if anybody would do that. Now, you can think about it. I'm going to go on to some other points here and give you, <clears throat> you'll probably have about five, seven minutes uh, to think about it. And let's turn to Genesis chapter 17. Amen. Now, I'll, I'll tell you, here's a better example of what I'm trying to say. Ralph has done it many times when he talks about tithes and offerings. He will tell things like, I was a thief. And I kept hearing this, and boom, one day the lights went off. And I started doing it, and it worked. So, so you've all heard his testimonies like that. So that's what I'm looking for is, is anybody that has something like that. I started that. I, I told you that where this ended up is not where I intended to go. I started in my thought process, how do I teach to get this inside? Because there, there's things that have to happen in order for us to do it. We don't just wake up one morning and... and we're walking in faith and we're standing in spiritual authority and, and all these kind of things. So in Genesis chapter 17, which I talked about a lot as I was talking about Abraham, we're going to go back to Abraham for a minute. And because there, for 24 years, Abraham struggled. And then one day the lights went off. And it's in Genesis chapter 17 that the lights went on or the lights went on, not off. And when Abraham was 90 years old uh, and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Now that word appeared. And this is the first principle. That word appeared in the original Hebrew means see, understand, look at, examine. Now, we, we, I, I got to start here and lay a premise because there are things that happened in the Bible that was the first that time. Abraham didn't have a reference point to look at to understand what God was telling him to do. He didn't have a Bible. There wasn't other things there. We go back and we can look at the Bible and say, okay, we can see this happen. On the day of Pentecost... They didn't have a reference point to go back and look at and see what's happening to us here on the day of Pentecost. So, so hold your place here and go to Joshua chapter 1. Abraham saw the Lord appeared unto him, but that word appeared means, let me say it again. Where did it go? See. Abraham saw something. Abraham understood something. Abraham looked at something. Abraham examined what was before him. Joshua 1.8 says, I read it real loud. Thou shalt meditate Pause. Therein. Meditate. What is meditate? Think about. See. Uh, examine. 
understand. He's saying the same thing to Joshua that happened to Abraham. Go ahead and read. Uh, continue reading. Thou shalt meditate. There is day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Okay, so here's the example. We're going back to, to Abraham now. God appeared unto him, and he saw what God was saying. Now we get down the road to Joshua. God appears to him and says, keep my words in front of you. Meditate on them so you can see what I'm saying, so you can understand, so you can examine, so you can walk in that, so we can understand here that if we can't see it, we can't walk in it. Now, just be honest, because this is good for me too. Have I ever started talking about something and you can't see it? Yes. Raise your hand. Okay. So now, what happens internally when you can't see it? Yeah, it's just like somebody's talking. Okay, I guess there's something that, that, that can happen, but, but I don't get what you're saying. So we're, we're all in a place, you know, as the old uh, people use as a ladder of life. We're all on a different rung. There's somebody below us or somebody's above us. The one above us is seeing things that we don't see. The one below us has no concept of what we're seeing. Okay, so, so when somebody's talking to us and we can't see what they're saying, most people shut down, lose interest, goes a different direction. The minority of people say, oh, you're, you're talking about something I don't get. Keep telling me until I, until I can get it. Yeah, they engage themselves. They, they want to know, so they, they start extracting. What is one of the greatest ways to extract information? Uh, yeah, ask questions. And if it doesn't make sense, then what should you do? Ask questions. Now, a lot of people miss the power of asking questions because they're not really listening to the answer. A lot of people want to try to bring the topic down into their understanding so they don't have to do anything. But the real intent of asking questions is so that I can understand to move up to a different rung of the ladder, if you will. Okay? And so he goes on, he says, I am, I'm back in uh, Genesis chapter 17. The Lord appeared, I've been talking about appeared, to Abraham said, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face. So now, in connection to what he saw, it also created a disparity between who he was and who God is. Now, do we, now remember, Abraham's the first. Do we have other examples of this? Revelation chapter 1. John, who walked with Jesus, when he saw the risen Savior, he fell on his face. So, so we see a couple of things that has to happen is to understand what is beyond our ability to see. Now, now don't take that as a negative. If you can't see something, that just means you can't see it. As soon as you understand it, you can see it. We're, we're all in that place in some element of life. So that's not a, a disparaging statement. It's just a statement of reality. If you can't see it, don't defend yourself, but inquire how to see it. You know what most people do? They defend their position. Okay, but if somebody's walking in something that you're not walking in, you can walk in it too, but you're going to have to want to walk in it. Am I making any sense? All right, so let me go back to my testimony. Does anybody got testimony here? Has anybody listened to me on something, did it, and watched it work in their life? Okay, hands are going up all over the audience. Let me see if I can find something here. You have taught me that I can stand against things, which I didn't know I had the power to do, but you have taught me that I can stand against things, I can speak to things, and things will happen for me. 
Okay, so give us an example of what you've done and how it turned out. Well, there's been several times that um, I would get up, I didn't feel good, you know, and I needed to come to work, and I would just start telling the Lord, you know, I have to go to work today, and I need you to move in my body. This thing that's trying to come against me, I'm standing against it, and I need you to help me. So has this changed your ability to stand against things? Yes. Okay. All right, uh, Tammy. Well, the first thing is when you started talking uh, or teaching, and it was years ago. Like 1985? No. Oh. Um, <laughs> but on how salvation is everything. It mm -hmm. encompasses everything. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Everything is everything. So it it's not just being saved. It's being saved from whatever is coming against us, whatever, you know, is hindering us. So then... You know, I, walking in those things, I could get victory over the things that, um, you know, that weren't hard. But when I needed the healing, I mean, I could get healing over little things. But when I needed something powerful, what you said to me about fear and how, you know, you weren't going to pray for me until I got fear out of my life, it made, it resonated with me about how I was the one holding back the things. And as my covering, not just as my pastor but as my husband I you couldn't get into agreement with me and yet you know we're supposed to walk in agreement as husband and wife but you couldn't because you wasn't going to compromise your walk because I wasn't willing to step up to the plate in that okay, but let me clarify that statement really what I was not willing to compromise right. was the word of God right because if I were to step down then I'm compromising the word of God so it wasn't really about me. It was about we got to stay in the word. Go ahead. Right. So, so in that, you know, it, in understanding that that's what I, that that's what was hindering me and holding me back, you know, I was able to conquer and get the he healing. Okay. Uh, anybody else? Yeah. Go ahead, Peter. As I said on Sunday, um, hearing you say that you hadn't been sick bothered me because I know that. Uh, I've been sick. I continued to want to know about it. So as you continue to talk about it, there was something in me, a desire, I'm call it, to want to know more about that. So as I continued to listen uh, down on the inside of me, there was an urge to find out what it was that you had or you were believing so far into that I wanted it. Because I thought to myself, you know, I could, if I could not be sick, how much better I could be, you know? And so as I started reading and studying the scriptures that you used to, to believe that, I found it true for myself. As I was saying on Sunday as I opened the service, I haven't been sick in years. I'm, I'm talking about even a runny nose. And so I have found that what you were talking about wasn't necessarily just for you. It was for me too. But I saw myself not being sick. Awesome. Okay, so very quickly uh, before I move on, any other hands? Okay, Muriel. Uh, there's been a, quite a few things that you've taught us since we've come here. Um, one comes to mind is when Daryl's first event that happened at Kauia two weeks before we got his uh, Social Security insurance. So he had absolutely no health insurance. And uh, we, he had to have a stint. And I came to you afterwards. It was a $75,000 bill. And I said, can I pray this away? And you said, absolutely. 
I said, because this is an attack on us, you know, taking finances that we want to give to the Lord to this instead. And um, you said you would lock faith with us, and we gathered around that request. And correct me if I'm wrong, um, Daryl paid $50 on it, you know, and then he tried to pay $50 on it like a month later, and it wouldn't accept it. And uh, he called them, and he said, what's the deal? I'm trying to, you know, pay my bill. And she goes, well, Mr. Myers, let me, let me put you on hold for a minute. Let me go look. And then she came back and she said, you have a zero balance. That's just one of many things, Pastor. Amen. Amen. Now, so far, do you find this encouraging that anybody can take the information and duplicate it? We have encouraging testimonies. Anybody can it can happen for anybody. But I'm sure, you know, somebody has at a time, I tried it and it doesn't work for me. Because that's what the enemy will come in and try to supplant that thought into our mind. But really... Here's, here's the struggle I had. We had five, we had five people. If, that, if we had 100 people in here, that'd be, uh, you know, 5%. There's not 100, so it's a little bit higher, 10% or something like that. Shouldn't it be more frequent because it's really God wanting to do something in our lives? Yes. So there's two potential holdbacks in this. Either my communication in it is, and I know I, I think differently than a lot of people, so it might follow my, my thought process, but... It could be I'm not communicating it correctly or we're not on the receiving end having it move us into I want to do that. And, and there's got to be reasons behind either way of where it goes. So let's go to First Chronicles uh, chapter 28. I'm going to try to try to lay this out where it makes sense. So First Chronicles 28 verse 9 says, And thou Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart. Now, there's four things I'm going to pull out of this. So I'm going to outline them as I go. Number one, a perfect heart. If you look up that Hebrew word perfect, uh, it means complete or whole. So we could translate that as serve him with your whole heart. This is an arena that I think that a lot of people struggle in is they serve him with a partial heart. And partial doesn't work with God. And so struggles, I'm not going to spend time on that, but struggles will arise Remember Abraham when he was fully persuaded. Now, he left his family. He left his geographic reason, region. So he had a partially persuaded heart. He just didn't have a fully persuaded heart. But when he was fully persuaded, then the, the promised son came out and everything. So he says, number one, with a perfect or a complete or a whole heart and with a willing mind. Now, this is where some things started turning for me, and I'm going to kind of go beyond it, but come back to it. Willing, that word from the original Hebrew means one who takes delight or has desire. So now, uh, was anybody in here ever once a kid, and your parent told you to do something, and you did it, but you didn't have a willing heart? Like as you were taking the trash out, you were saying things about your parents the whole way there? Or are you all holy? You never did anything like that. You were obedient, but you weren't willing. Okay, but here he says he wants you to be willing. It's the same thing with giving. What does God want in a giver? A cheerful heart. He doesn't want money. It's a heart issue. Okay, so now he says you, you, to have a perfect heart and a willing uh, mind. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands the imaginations. Now, the imagination, if you look that up in the Hebrew, it's something made into shape. 
okay? And he will, uh, imaginations of the thoughts. So basically the context here, and thoughts is the fourth word, is when a thought takes shape, it's become an imagination. Does that make sense? You can have a thought, but once you develop the thought, you can see yourself walking in it. It now becomes a picture. Now it's an imagination. So let me translate this into words that I just put together. What your heart, your spirit man, <clears throat> that connects with your will, the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotion, that connects with your will, produces a thought that will eventually take shape or become an imagination. The will inside of us, and this is what, like I said, I'm shifting now because I didn't intend to go this direction because I'm going to talk about the will of man, is the will in us determines which way we go. Now, when you apply that to circumstances, when you apply that to events, when you apply that to decisions, the arena that we, we move, the, the yes or no, you know, problem, do I do this? Yes, do I do this? No. You know, I'm going to go this way because of no. And, you know, our life goes to a series. The determining factor of that is largely driven by the will. That will is, in fact, one of the words that's very synonymous with the word will is delight. It's the thing I want. It's the way I want it. I, I just want pressure off of me. I'm going to go this way and try to get out from underneath the pressure. Uh, I, I don't want to have to deal, man, he, you're talking too straight with me. I just want to get out of your presence so, you, so I don't have to deal with the conversation. So, so the will inside of us connecting with our heart makes the determination of which way we go. Here's a definition of will. Power of the soul, mind, will, and emotion, it's the will, the power of the soul by which we determine either to do or forego an action. It's the desire or the power of my, that, that capacity within my soulish realm that determines whether I say yay or nay. Let me give you some exam example. Whether we do or don't do, it's an act of will. Whether... We get the worm, you know, the early bird gets the worm. Whether we get the worm or we sleep till noon, it's an act of will. Whether we're on time or we're late, it's an act of will. And you've heard me say it many times that the sum total of our life is the result of our decisions. Our decisions are an act of will. So when I'm listening to the Bible, when I'm listening to somebody preach and they say, you don't have to get sick. When, I, when I'm listening to somebody preach and they say you can have all sufficiency in all things, when I'm listening to something, somebody preach uh, and they, uh, they say you don't have to be depressed, now <clears throat> I'm either going to do or don't do based on my will. It's going to go deeper than this, and I, I'm hitting the surface right now, but in my will of doing or don't doing is going to be de decided by how much effort I want to put into life. Does that make sense? Okay, so now go to Romans chapter 12, verse... We we quote this verse and read this verse all the time, me, both, both me and Peter. Uh, it's a very common, um, I mean, it's just a very pivotal point, but I want to read it again from a different context. Romans chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, let's just stop right there before we go on. When we're dealing with our will, is it really hard to figure out which way we're going to go when somebody starts talking about present your bodies as a living sacrifice? Yeah, I don't like that one. 
I don't know, maybe that's your favorite verse in the Bible, but it's not mine. And then he goes on, it's a reasonable service. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. This is where I want to get to. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So now we see a conflict. Because we have a will within us, and God has a will. Do you see the conflict? Because when, when we get in a, a, a life situation or we're in a church service and somebody's preaching about that we can do, we can overcome, but I don't feel it. Now my will's going to kick in and go the direction of what I, what I feel. You know, his, uh, you know, some people are just like, uh, I don't know, like diagnosed, diagnosed depressive. I'm not talking about that. But have you ever been depressed like it's just kind of like, like, you know, it's not a, a, a diagnosis. It's just a day like, like you were battling something and, and you just wasn't feeling like doing anything and, and you were just kind of stopped. Have we all been there before? Mm-hmm. When somebody tells you, just get up and go do it, how does that make you feel? You, you want to slap them, right? Because what you want to do or your will is to go get in a dark room, lay down, go to bed. I want to sleep through this thing. So you have a a conflict of wills. So God's trying to get us to do something, but I have a will that has been generated inside of me that is is pushing the direction by which I go. All right? Now, the will of... So so when we, we break this down, are we living in the will of God that you, me, may prove... The, the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Am I living to prove God's will, or am I living to prove my will? See, this is where the conflict comes in. Naturally, we're all going to want to yield to our will, correct? Jesus demonstrated this for us. He said, Father, is there any way we could do this thing a different way? Never live us, not my will. So we know his will. I don't want to do this. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So when the battle of wills came up, Jesus, by example, showed us also that we yield to his will, even though our will is not filling it. You need to get up and do something, but you feel like sleeping. Who, who, who typically wins that battle? Sleep, right? I mean, sometimes because we, we just have to be there or do that thing, but, but, but if it's not like just it's, it's got to, got to, the bed wins over productivity most of the time. Y'all been there? Yes. And, and, and did you argue with yourself? Oh, you didn't even argue. You just rolled over and went back to sleep. <laughs> but have you ever laid there and argued with? Oh, come on. I knew I needed to get. Oh, but it's cold and it's dark. And, and oh, my bed's so comfy. But I, I really, I mean, people are going to be expecting me. But, you know, they'll get over it. Because <laughs> that's a battle of will. Okay, but, but now we have to ask ourselves. Why, does, why is our will so weak in the success-oriented element, in the arena of overcoming? Because there's reasons for this. Now, uh, let me give you a couple of scriptures here before I go into the reasons. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 1. And I, I quoted this verse a, a minute ago, but I just want you to see it. Isaiah 119, it says, If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. So here we see in God's word that it's not just obedience. Now, I've dealt with obedience a lot. All the script, why do you say you love me and don't do what I want? That's an obedience verse. But here he said it's not just obedience. He wants our will to be involved in it. 
God, I want to do this. This ties back into Psalms 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or let me translate, because delight is one of the, uh, the definitions of the word will, is let your will be towards God to do what he says. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. So, so here we see that God says to the prophet Isaiah, uh, let's, let's go back. I want to break it down. If. Now, if is an act of will. If is the yes or no, do or don't do. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if, so the control is totally within our control, you refuse, again, an act of will, an act of our will, you shall be devoured with the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken against you. So there is a force inside of all of us because we've even said things like we get a baby, you know, a new baby, and we say, wow, he's a strong-willed baby. Everybody has this force of will within them that drives us to some point, whether it's to get what we want, to, to you know, I want this toy. You know, it's, it's an act of will. Or then you have the, the passive baby that, that, you know, their will is, is less than, you know, on, on, on their driving force. But everybody has this force. And here is the key. We have the steering wheel to the will. We can determine which way the will goes. Am I going to use my will to sleep till noon? Or am I going to use my will to make my life successful? See, we have the power over that. Now, I'm going to go deeper in this. But, but are you tracking with me? That this component of will, which operates in your mind, your will, and your emotion, in the soulless realm, is operating in, in all of us. And God wants it to be a part of our walk with him. So in, in Peter's uh, testimony, that, you know, when I was having people talking, he said, I heard you talk about not getting sick, and I wanted that. His will shifted. Now he started driving toward, how do I get to this place where uh, I can live without sickness in my life? Okay, but another person might look at it and say, well, that's too hard, I don't want to do that. Well, you, you, you don't know what I'm fighting in my body. I, I, I just don't believe it. But you got two people here that's lived several years now without, without ever getting sick and have, have proven the, the pattern, if you will. Let me just stop here real quick. Is anybody not tracking with me? Do I need to clarify anything? Because I'm getting ready to get rid of all your excuses. So if you don't understand where I'm at right now, I'm going to show you the power of will. Anybody got a question? Nobody, no, I'm doing just like a really good job. Or is it just like, I understand nothing you're saying, so I'm not going to ask a question. Are we okay? All right, go to Mark chapter 5. Okay, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. This is the storing of the demoniac at, with the Gadarenes. And they came over unto the other side of the sea and into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he, Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, not even with chains. Okay, this is like a real madman, all right? Because he had been bound with fetters. Now, what did they make fetters out of? Metal. He was bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder. He was so strong, pow, he'd just break them off. You can't bind me. And broke them in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, what does always mean? Always means always. Now, this man, Netherberg, he had a legion of demons. I think that was 1,200 or 2,000, something like that. So this was not just a man possessed with the devil. This was a man that was possessed with legions of devils that mankind had nothing strong enough 
to bind him that would hold him, that he had the strength. Uh, it wasn't God's strength because like Samson, it was devil's strength. And always, night and day. When? When was it? Always. Night and day. He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying, cutting himself with stones. You know, we got a big problem today with people cutting themselves. It's demons. Demons haven't changed. They still do what they've always done. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now, pause here. This is a man possessed with legion of demons. Demons do not run to Jesus. Demons do not worship Jesus. But this man who saw Jesus afar ran from him, or let me translate it, the will of this man, the physical nature and the brain of this man could not get him free and could not control himself, but the will of this man could override the powers of demons because demons wouldn't run and worship Jesus. So now we all have excuses. You know, I just can't. I've tried to motivate myself. I just, I just can't. No. I, I've tried that. I just can't. Yes, you can. I bet you you're not possessed with, demon, with legions of demons. You might have some oppression going on, but it's the trickery of Satan that keeps us in our place to not understand how we can walk free. Because if a man possessed with legions of demons was able to overpower the power that he was possessed with by virtue of his will, he cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee? That wasn't the man. That was the demon speaking through him. So, so once he got there, his will got him there, but once he got there, the demons took back over. The, the guy was possessed. I mean, the guy was like out of control. But his will, his desire, I want free of this. Now, if you remember when, when Abraham, going back and God appeared unto him that we start out with, as soon as he saw, he fell and worshipped. John, when he saw, he fell as though he was dead. See, there's a will, and then there's a corresponding action of, I want what you have. We're lacking both. Many people don't have the will to break free from whatever it is that's holding them back, and all they're focused on is the breaking free, and they're not, they're not willing to give themselves to, to, to God, fully persuaded, 100%. A perfect heart, a heart full and, and open, and, and I'm going to be yours. Here's an interesting thing about, this is psychology. Can okay, I looked up on a psychology website about the will of a person. And uh, it, was, it was a study that they did. Now, I look a lot at psychology stuff, but, but I just like to see what they say. I, I don't really believe it. They, they don't understand the human heart, how, you know, the spirit, the soul, and different things like that. But but I like some studies, and this one was really intriguing to me. Uh, I'm summarizing the study. When one has hope, they also have will and determination. Now, now, when I read that, I thought, that's the Bible right there. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. When you have hope, you now have the will and the determination, which will and determination are really intertwined because that's where whether your will is to the negative or to the, the positive, or to the positive, once you set yourself, you're determined to go that direction. But a person with hope, now faith is a substance of things hoped for. So the thing hoped for is the outcome. And hope within itself, according to psychology, contains both will and determination. And as, as I read that, I thought, wow, this makes sense. Because the reason that people struggle in the will arena is because they don't have 
the hope arena. So stop and think about it. See if you can apply this to yourself. There's a situation in your life. I, you know, I'm making this up because everybody has different. Just see if you can figure out a place in your life. You don't think there's any way that situation can change. Your hope, you have no hope of change. Therefore, your corresponding will and determination is not there to drive into the answer. Does that make sense? But now, and, and, and think of it in biblical concepts. If I have hope, faith is a substance of things hoped for. So now, now we know that if I have a biblical hope, I also have a biblical faith. But what will come with it is my will will push toward what I have because I have hope of the outcome. And as I, I, as I thought about this, and I'm looking at this, I said, the, the struggle is not the will. The struggle is the hope. People are living without hope. And I thought about David that I just preached about, and Ralph brought it up during the offering time, about David. All the camp was scared of Goliath. What did David bring into the camp? Hope. There's somebody here that's going to deliver us. There's somebody here that's going to take the weight on. And he brought hope into the arena. And now hope, when, they, when he went out, now the armies are standing. And when he killed, they did wait till he killed him. When he killed him, now the armies got up and their will drove them forward because now they had a hope of victory. And if we don't have the hope, how are we going to have the will? Now, if we don't have the hope, we still have a will. But if I really have no hope, of, of reaching my objective, remember in the will, it's that, that part, that power within the soul that causes us to do or don't do. If I don't have the hope, now my will is not tied to that outcome, but I still have a will, it's tied to another outcome. Stay in bed, smoke dope, drink alcohol. Let, let me get some mind-altering state so that I can deal with life or so that I don't have to deal with life. Okay, so hope involves the will to get where we're going. So if I understand correctly, with hope, my will now becomes the driving force to get me to where I need to be. Yes, especially from the psychological yeah. definition. Faith is really what gets us everything. But I will not have the will to stay in faith without the hope that it will actually come to pass. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know if I remember what I said. Um, <laughs> Faith is what brings the outcome to everything that we do. But faith is tied to hope. So if I don't have the hope, I'm not going to have the faith, which the will is automatically tied into the hope. So I'm not going to push for the victory that I need if I lose my hope, because in the, the loss of hope, I've lost faith. Is that clear? Now, excuses and justifications. I know there's nobody in here that ever has excuses or justifications, but... But follow the sequence and pattern. If you're living a life of excuses and justifications. Now, if you argue your point on something that, doesn't, that you don't understand, you're living in excuses and justifications. Because you're trying to not understand something at a higher. You're trying to bring the conversation down to where you're at. So there's no responsibility on your part. If you're living a life with excuses and justifications you have no hope because that's the the hope is the reason we will press for something that is beyond where we're currently at so so we've got to have the hope of what jesus did it, it's got to be it's it's got to be contained with where i'm at 
So in one of the analysis that I made of why people don't get what I'm talking about is probably they don't really have a hope of it manifesting in their life. So you take somebody who's been poor their whole life and you start talking about you can have more than enough. They, they have no hope that that can become a reality for them. Or you take somebody who's been sick their whole life and you start talking about the ability to live without sickness. They can hear what you're saying, but they have no hope that it will manifest in them because they've lived in pain their whole life. But everything the Bible talks about is outside the realm of where you and I live. And it's all based on hope that what he said will actually manifest in our life. But if I'm not interested enough in changing my life to have more, and believe me, that's not like a dumb statement. Most Americans are not willing to do more to get more. They want more. That's why they live in debt, but they're not willing to do more to get more. So, I mean, it's a very fundamental element that, that people live in is, is they want, but they want no requirement of themselves to obtain it. So we can, we can take that attitude and bring it over into all other things. That's why people walk around and they're mouthy. They, they just, you know, stir up stuff with people. And why aren't you doing this for me? And why, why this and why that? They have no hope of a better life. So they, they bring their attitude into situations. They take, it's an act of will. Since I will not take my will and the power of my will and change dynamics where my life is fulfilled, I will bring destruction into an area because it makes me feel better. Because it, do you know what drives a person that's always, well, why don't you do, why don't you do, blah, 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 blah. they just, do you know what drives it? Self. But what in self drives it? Yes. But there's something very, very deep within it. Significance. I see if I bring trouble into a situation, and I stir things up and I get mouthy. Number one, it's a release off of me, but it makes me feel significant because now people interact back with me. It makes me feel important. A lot of people do a lot of negative things to gain personal significance because they're bankrupt inside themselves. Okay, I didn't plan on going this way, but I guess the way y'all were looking at me, it just kind of drew it out. Does it make sense? It makes because we all want a feeling of significance. We all want to, to, to know that our life matters. And so a lot of people, instead of doing things that make them matter, like helping people, like, like doing things within the community to change the atmosphere, instead of doing that, they find significance through negative things. Now, that is an act of will. It's a broken act. I mean, the person needs will, which Jesus brings. But how in, in biblical terms, how significant are you and I? Why? Yeah, um, God sent his only begotten son to die for you, for me. That's pretty significant. But how come I can't get my will tied to what he has done in order to walk in it? Probably because I really don't have the hope of the outcome that if I will discipline myself to do it, I will get the outcome. Go ahead. Because um, ultimately we're made for his will. Well, and that goes back to the verse that we read so that we can prove his perfect will, which is an abandoning of our will. But God says that if we do that, that he will make us into what we, we could never make for ourselves. Everything that God does is, is contrary to normal thinking. All right, let me just read a couple more points here. Uh, I think only one more point, actually. 
Okay, so now let me go back to this. I got three last points. And this is the one I had to talk about. Excuses and justification equals no hope, which equals a wrong identity. If you lose your hope, you lose your identity because we are a people of hope. Then when we get to this place, we by our will do that which is easy and comfortable and complain about why we don't have what other people have or can't, can't do what other people do or whatever our complaint is. Now, many want, when I say many, I'm talking about within the church world, many want and even try to get without having a solid hope foundation. If you don't believe it's, faith is substance things so forth, if you don't believe it's going to come out, yet you want it, because you can intellectually want something bad enough that you'll start moving toward it. Ever been on a diet? You intellectually wanted something, so you started moving toward it until day four. Then you rose up, right? Okay. These are like real life examples. This is why we dumb down the word to justify what we're doing so we don't hold responsibility within ourselves. Last point. When we fail, has anybody ever failed? When we fail, it's because we're not fully persuaded because there is no failure in God. When, when we become fully persuaded, no, I'm not saying that the success will come in the time frame that we want, but God cannot fail, faith cannot fail. We can fail by not using faith correctly, and we've all had faith failures, but it wasn't faith that failed, and it wasn't God that failed, or God's system that failed, it's us that failed. When we fail, number one, we were not fully persuaded, and in that failure, the failure steals the hope not the will. Because let, let's say you, 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 know, you don't want to work for the man. You want to be in business for yourself or you can call all the shots. And you start a business and you fail and it bankrupts you. You may still want to own your own business, but the failure stole the hope of being able to do it. We come down to the problem of a hope problem. But we have to understand because in all of this, as we read in Chronicles, there's thoughts and there's imaginations developed they affect our heart. They affect what we do. But at some point, if we're going to want to walk in the power of God, we're going to have to get over ourselves and fix the arena of where it's broken. Let's stand. I, I realize that I tied several things together, and maybe it was on the, on, the, on the deep side. But man, when I saw this, it's like, okay, I, I see where I've struggled, and I've seen where the, that I was focused on the wrong thing. I let go of hope. And, and I allowed my will to take me a different direction because I knew I could get this, but I didn't think I could get that. Uh, I heard Pastor Harbaugh explain uh, Hebrews 11 one, one time in a construction uh, metaphor. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. He says if you're building a house, you know what you want. You know the outcome of it. I want a four-bedroom, three-bath. You know, this means I want laid out this way. Faith is the blueprint. That, that's the drop of what it's going to look out. And faith is the substance of things hoped for. The hope becomes the substance or the building materials. The shingles are laying there. The lumber's laying there. The wiring's laying there. That the faith becomes, faith is a substance of things hoped for. Faith is the building material that's going to take the, the architectural plan, bring it back into here, what, what I visualize, what I imagine, and it's going to produce... What, what I see, it's the building block. If you lose your hope, 
your will is going to look for something else that it can achieve because we all want to be success, right? So if I can't score a job, but I can score a hit, which am I going to be more prone to do? Go to the hit. Because number one, it's going to make me not, this, this is the drinking problem, the marijuana problem, all the, the drug problems. I feel a certain way when I'm going towards something that I don't know that I can achieve. But if I go this way, I'm going to feel good for a little bit. I'm certain about that. I'm fully persuaded on that. What'd you say? And we want the fast and easy. I know I can do that, so I'm not going to push this way. So now when we come down to biblical things, and I start talking about you don't have to be sick, and that's like way up here because we've all been sick, we either by an act of will are going to say, I, I'm going to figure out how to do that. And, and if sickness, believe me, I didn't wake up one day, probably he has the same testimony and say, I'm not ever going to be sick again, and I was never sick again. You're going to now get in a fright. And you got to start beating the fight and changing the way you think to know that you don't get sick. I mean, how many people have a corresponding faith linked to we're in hay fever season? We're in, what's the other season like with crops and stuff like that? Is it hay fever? Or? Aller, we're in allergy season. We're, oh, they're shaking the walnuts. I know it affects me every single year. Well, bless God, may your faith work. We've got to understand how to build hope. 